When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And welcome to The Discourse, a short-form one-on-one interview podcast with filmmakers, actors, and other industry folks, brought to you by The Playlist and hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo. Today, I got to sit down with someone who I have been a fan of since I was very young, and that is filmmaker Robert Rodriguez. If you haven't heard of Robert Rodriguez, then where have you been? He is one of the great DIY filmmakers of all time. He really hit hard during the 90s, during that indie boom, and went on to great success. Uh, with things like Desperado and The Faculty and From Dust Till Dawn, Sin City, Planet Terror, the Spy Kids franchise. Recently, he did like Alita Battle Angel and The Book of Boba Fett for Disney+. Plus. He has a new film called Hypnotic that hits theaters on May 12th and stars Ben Affleck, Alice Braga, J.D. Pardo, William Fickner, Jackie Earl Haley, and more. I got to screen this one a couple of weeks back. A few of us at the playlist did, and it really sparked some conversation, both about the film and what might have been intentional, what might be unintentional. Robert's career overall, we all had different favorites of his. I think if you're a film buff, if you're a fan of Robert's career, then you should definitely be checking this out. It's very different from things he's done in the past, and it very intentionally plays with the audience on multiple levels. I'll just say it purposely starts as this hard-boiled detective movie that you may feel like you've seen a million times, whether it's the look or the plot or Ben's performance. It's very quick to then twist and twist until things just go nuts. Uh, The great thing about it is I think whether you like it or not, you're still going to leave entertained and fascinated by what the hell just happened and, you know, what was going on in the movie. Like I said, a lot was discussed over at the playlist. My interview with Robert basically covers you know the making of hypnotic we also talk about one of my favorites the faculty we talk about some of the projects that never came to be for him as well as a potential alita battle angel sequel Uh, that would be cool if that happened 
Before I shoot you over to the interview, I've got to tell you that the Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, Bingeworthy, Deep Focus, and more. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite shows. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating as we do very much appreciate it. Or just head on over to theplaylist.net for film and TV news or reviews or interviews and more. Uh, Okay, here's my conversation with the awesome, the legendary Robert Rodriguez. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Like most film buffs my age, I'm a longtime fan of yours. So it's an honor. Look at that cool shirt you're wearing. Oh, yeah. Escape from New York, man. Escape New York. I heard that's one of those that you kind of hold real close. Like that kind of inspired you to be become a filmmaker in some ways. Was that pretty influential when you got started? Totally, totally. For me, Jim Cameron too, he tells me, you know, he saw that as a, that was the way to do it. This independent filmmaker, his name's above the title, like Hitchcock, yep. making anything he wants, doing it for a price, doing a lot of the jobs himself. Yeah. When I saw this poster for Escape from New York. They had, a, they had, a, they afforded somehow a big cardboard cutout of it with a big head in the theater. I would look at that thing. And go, wow, that thing's coming out near my birthday. I got to have to sneak into the theater. I was only 13. I'm going to have to sneak into the theater to see that. Because you'd hear that music and you would see that he wrote it. He directed it. He did the score. But this guy's having the most fun in the world. This sounds like the most fun job ever. To, he's like the use model still to make the city and yeah. string with a <laughs> man painting. What all I loved the most was that it just blew my mind that it just said New York was a maximum security period prison. <laughs> Period. You just have to buy whatever world he built. You can just make something like that up just out of the blue and you go and watch it. That's what I think of as that's a hypnotic construct where you mm-hmm. just you build a world that people go into and they buy it long enough to believe what they're seeing. And even though it sounds crazy at first, you it's yeah. dr- it pulls you in with the performances. And I thought that's what I would love to do. So I started making movies from that point on. One of my first movies was a claymation movie. And I didn't have a background for it. So I put my vinyl record of Escape from New York behind it. So I have the big head or the big head behind it. So I was totally inspired to make movies after that because it just felt like that's something you independently you could go do. Yeah. Sort of path. And yet it looks amazing and the world building is amazing. So yeah. I preferred it to, you know, the studio movies. I want I I can see that this is handcrafted. Mm-hmm. I like the craftsmanship. I like that everyone had to just bootstrap this thing together to entertain. That yeah. felt like that was attainable in some way. Hell yeah, man. Obviously, we're here to talk hypnotic, which is a trip. I know it's a passion project of yours. It's been stirring around for quite a while. How far back does this go? I heard like the Spy Kids days, maybe even. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, when I would edit, because I edit my own movies when you're editing, and especially back then, the computers were slower. So you're, you're editing and you're waiting for a shot to render and you're like, uh, you know, you can't get up. It's not that long. It's just enough that I would always have a TV next to me playing a movie with sound off. I would just mm-hmm. be Blade Runner. It'd be, you know, Escape from New York. It'd be whatever. So I could just turn and admire a shot. In fact, one time I was playing Blade Runner, I'd turn all the color off and crank up oh. the contrast. And I thought, that's like, it's a film noir. I would love to do a sci-fi film noir someday and that ended up being sin city a few yeah. years but then vertigo was also playing a lot because they had just rediscovered it and put it out restored it and put it out on dvd and i had seen it for the first time and i thought man i've always loved this hitchcock movies and it was playing over and over and i said i love the he always had a one-word title 
no one really does those Hitchcock movies anymore. Uh, it's more Chris Nolan started, you know, doing it to the hilt, but yeah, no one's really doing it. And I thought I would love to do some of that with a lot of twists. And that's how I came up with it. It came up with it on Spy Kids too. I, I was thinking, what's a, what's a one where he always had psycho vertigo frenzy <laughs> one word titles that were really cool. If he had kept going, what, what would have been his next movie? And I thought hypnotic popped in my head. I thought, okay, but what does that mean? <laughs> it's title. And then I thought, Oh, it's a guy you can't catch. It's a guy that you might meet and he'll drain your bank account, takes your car. You don't even remember meeting him. And there's like a small percentage of people in the world who have this ability. It's not hypnotism. It's something else. And as a cop who's trying to catch this guy and he's just uncatchable, that's a great villain. So I started writing some really cool sequences. Even the scissor scene is still in, in the movie. The eyes yeah. was, was in the fi final movie. And I only wrote like a treatment scriptment, scriptment. Jim Cameron would call them. It was probably about 30, 40 pages. Key scenes, even the ending. Not that ending, the second to the last ending, because I thought of the triple backflip later. Um, and then I was just always one of those things I was going to write someday and, and sell on the spec market. I thought back then there was a lot of spec sales. And I thought, I never had a spec script. This is such a strong idea. I bet if I really craft a script, I can sell it. So that's what kept me from making it. It was just this idea that I, I wanted to put something out on the spec script market, you know, like a like Shane Black would do or something. Yeah. It never happened. I got busy with all my sequels and stuff. And, and it wasn't until 2015. I thought, you know, what? I just got to go, I just got to go finish this thing and make it. And then Alita popped up. So it just kept getting delayed. And so it turned into 20 years, 20 years blows by now, like weeks. It's just yeah. my mind how, how much time can go by, but here it is. And it's the perfect version. I mean, I, I never would have had Ben. I never would have had Elise. I never would have had, had I done it back then. And I never would have figured out the ending. So Sometimes a thing is is meant to be, or the process, the fact that we got shut down so many times because of COVID, our shooting schedule went from 55 days to 34 days, which is really more like 24 days because it was 10 hour days because of COVID, um, French hours. If you change locations more than twice, which we did often, you really shot for six hours. So it was more like a 24 day schedule. And I had been, which was just like, Ben, this is going to be like the roaring 90s, man. We're going to have to shoot this thing <laughs> at bullet speed. And he was so into it. He was like, yeah, man, I spent so much time standing around on sets. I don't think anyone shot like that anymore. Well, we have to on this yeah. one. And it gave it that energy like that you wanted from a Hitchcock film. And that's how he shot Psycho. He was like tired of the big bloated movies. I'm going to go shoot something with my TV crew, black and white, crank it out. And it was Psycho. So it got us more back to the purity of um how those Hitchcock movies were made a lot of just $2 tricks edits and things to make you think you're seeing things. I just preferred that uh, way of making movies. It got me excited about doing it that way. And, um, and then we just had to do it that way. Yeah. It can't hurt that you have Affleck like in front of the camera though, because he understands everything that you're doing and need because he's a writer, director, producer, all that in his own right. Um, yeah. So how, how great is that collaborating with someone with that kind of knowledge? I always love it. I've worked with many actors that are also directors and they're some of your favorite actors to work with. None of them ever want to direct they, when they get there. <laughs> they, they're like, they, this, they know they're just there to act. They only want to act because they know how hard the job is, but they definitely help you mm -hmm. because they know 
right away when you say, man, I just got to get this. I got you. I got you. you they get it because they've been on that side. Mm -hmm. Could you just hold your hand a little bit more this way? And they're like, yeah, got you, brother. And they don't have to, hey, why? You know, they don't have to ask your actor question. They That's see my it motivation. Yeah. Point of view. That's what <laughs> makes it so easy. It's just like, man, this guy already knows I'm not going to be able to use this shot if he doesn't do a certain thing because he's been in that seat. So that's really uh, what helps you fly. And, and he's just got the greatest attitude and just showed up looking like, I mean, I thought I was filming Michael, Michael Mann's thief, you know, with James, James, James Conn. He just looks so lean and badass. I was like, bro, let's go make another movie right now. Where's our shit? We should have another script ready. We should just go back to back into another one. Let's do it now while we're hot. He was so into it. We had so much yeah. fun. Yeah, it's funny that you mention Vertigo and Chris Nolan, because those are a lot of the reference points I would use to like describe this to people if they ask what it's like. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. So it like it's there's an inception point in there. There's there is Vertigo in there when you see like because this is gestating for so long. So when you see something like Inception come out that is similar to the idea, do you go, well, shit. Or do you go, I can use this as references for the audience? Yeah, you definitely use it. As, yeah, definitely use it as and then, and then it's kind of, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but. There's yeah. definitely times where I don't want to get with there's things that are. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Coded that are from movies. Yes. There's things that are suddenly it looks like a Michael Mann movie. You know, it's kind of got the long lens and it's very grainy. And and then uh, you see things that kind of remind you of movies. Those are all clues. <laughs> Those are all clues that, that about the hypnotic construct going on. So it's it's uh, it's definitely. Uh, something that was used as a reference point so that you realize, you know, what you're seeing isn't necessarily really real. It's, it's taken from movies. It's taken yeah. from, from, uh, from other things. Cause that's, you know, that's what I loved about the movie was it's kind of like what we do as filmmakers, you know, we create this fake world and the audience buys a ticket. They want that experience. They go, they sit in a theater, the hypnotic construct starts where they believe everything they're seeing and hearing enough to be emotionally invested in a story to either be moved to cry or laugh or cheer. And the filmmaker's trying to keep that dance going to make them believe it as long as possible. If you using dialogue, actors saying, they all know, everyone knows that. But the more they can believe it, the better. And that when the when you know you start seeing behind the scenes on the on the film, you get that that's kind of what is going on within the film too. It's a very meta thing that I always was looking forward to pulling to doing. And some of it just worked even better than than we thought it was going to work. In fact, the more our budgets got squeezed down and our sets got <laughs> cheaper and cheaper to where it was just like a sign and some and some and some piping, it was even helped the movie even more. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that this COVID thing enhanced the film in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think it helps being a movie buff, like looking at these two, because it plays with even those kind of audiences where they're going to come in with their arms crossed. Like I've seen this movie before. Yeah. And yeah. You slowly lift the curtain and they're like, I still got it. I see this, this yeah. coming. And then you realize like, this is not what you think it is. <laughs> and did you shoot like a lot of footage where you have to figure it out in the edit or you're just like, we don't have time for that. We figured this out beforehand. Yeah. It was like a 24. That's why my son racer was there with me. He's my co-writer. Now my co-producer, we were literally doing, we knew we'd have to do reshoots 
on the set, you know, like mm-hmm. we have to figure out already what's going to be a problem in editing later and let's fix it before we even shoot it. Let's, let's, let's anticipate because of all the changes we're having to make story-wise to fit the new schedule and the COVID protocols and how can we make it to our benefit? So it's like, we're doing our, our, our reshoot pass as we do the first one, because there's no reshoot. There's no, we're not going to yeah. get everybody back here and get to do this again. <laughs> so we had to just be really uh, precise. Sometimes, you know, two takes, only one take is like the gold one. Let's shoot a backup takes. So we don't have to come back. A lot of backup takes and then and then you move. And I did my thing where I'd have the zoom lens on and it'd be like, okay, Ben, do that, do that. You're crying. And okay, now reset, take tears, suck the tears up. Okay, I'm going to zoom in. I'm going to get the tie. Now have them come out again and then go back wide. And I was like, man, I'm sorry I had to do that. But the kid turned into a pumpkin in like five minutes. I had to get her off set. And he said, uh, you can't do it fast. You can't do it. I was like, wow, how <laughs> badass is that? I can have Awesome. Uh, I have a couple of colleagues at the playlist that we've taken this occasion as kind of a time to discuss our favorite Robert Rodriguez films over the years. None of us picked the same movie, which I think is a testament to the quality, the breadth of your work and how much you like to shake things up. Well, it might also depend on who has kids and who doesn't have kids. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. You literally seem to just have something for everybody in your filmography. So you're always trying new things. What would you say is the key to your career? Is it like searching for variety and reaching for something new or are you just, that's just where your mind automatically goes? It was wherever my mind was going. You know, I was, I, I learned, you know, a lesson valuably on mariachi. It was a, the gift that kept on giving. I didn't think anyone was going to see that movie. It was going to go to Spanish home video. It was supposed to be an action film. And I couldn't even do that right. It was supposed to just be an action film. All the other action films straight to video were called like Perros Rabiosos Dos, like Rabid Dogs too. <laughs> you know, that promises action. I was still, I was from a cartoon background. And I still had a sense of humor. So my action movie is called basically The Guitar Player. Like yep. who would rent an action movie called The Guitar Player? That promises no action. But I thought if someone was so desperate, they're going to rent the movie, they're going to pop it in, they'll be surprised. There's actually probably more action in that than Pedro Sabioso's stuff. But uh, no one was going to see it. So when it, I just made it for myself. I just thought, well, I'm just going to put funny shit in this and I might as well just have fun. I'm going to make it for me because I don't know who the audience is. And that thing went in one Sundance. So I was like, okay, I'm never going to be able to guess what people want to see. I didn't think they want to see this. So maybe, maybe it's because I just made something that I really thought no one would see. And if no one's looking, what would I make for myself? So that's kind of the mindset I, I started taking. And it, that's why it's like, you know, I'm from a family of 10 kids. I know I just did three action movies in a row, but I'm going to go make a kid's film because nobody was watching. That's what I would want to do. It utilizes all my, you know, experiences, my 10 brothers and sisters. It's about my family. And if you have to get up every day and go to work, if you're doing something in, with your family and about your family, you'll put you'll actually enjoy that and put more of yourself into it. And maybe there's something that'll be reflected. So I, I kind of found success doing things that just I liked. Cause then I think the audience has a chance of liking not everybody, but they're people who are really passionate about it. And I think it's because they recognize it's true to somebody. It wasn't just made at a factory. Somebody really believed in this and was invested in it enough to create a hypnotic construct for an hour and a half that they bought into. Other people won't, but they did. And I've got some real rabid people that are really love certain movies. I'm always surprised when people come to get something signed, which one meant something to them. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just like, 
you know, I have movies like that, movies that, that I really, I love, that a lot of people don't like, but it just dropped at the right time in the right place. And it was there for me and I became attached to it. And so I, I think the more movies I make, if I'm, as long as I'm not just taking a studio assignment, I, I got a chance of at least reaching some of the audience. I tell my kids, watch, we're going to do all this work. We're going to work your ass off making a movie to get to the point where somebody looks at it and goes, at the yeah. best, <laughs> it was all right. It was all right. It was all right. That was pretty good. And you're like, you know what it took to get the pretty good. And that's such a win. Yeah. <laughs> Selfishly for me, the one that I go back to a lot is the faculty. Because wow, that's so crazy. I know. I have a real soft spot for it. I grew up like as a Doesn't teenager in the, the 90s yeah. and 2000s. It's a hug to like genre fans. Like it plays like with the thing and body snatchers and Stepford wives. There's like with the breakfast club dropped into it. It's just so fun. I love it more each time I watch it. Hey. What was your experience making that when you look back on it all this time later? I mean, it was, it was like, I was turning down everything the studio would send me. They were saying, do this for us, do that for us. I said, no, no, I'm going to make Spy Kids. Ah, Spy Kids isn't ready. And then they said, you've got to do faculty because Scream was really big. Yeah, William Ryder. And these teen movies could be dead in a year. So you have, we have to make this right now. We can't wait for you to make Spy Kids. But like, well, all right, it's true. I haven't finished writing the script. And I don't even, my crew doesn't even know how to, I haven't even found a crew yet for Austin. So that'll help me get some visual effects experience get a crew going here so we can do spy kids and give them some seasoning. So I took it and I, cause I read the script and Kevin Williamson's script was just great. Um, so I thought oh, it'd be cool to, it's cool to collaborate with people like that, you know, to do like a dust till dawn with Quentin or a faculty with, or sin city with, you know, I, to do someone else's vision also yeah. gets you out of your own box or go work with Jim Cameron. You know, you have to take a break from yourself so you can come back with some new skills. And I, I thought doing something like that, which was an ensemble piece with teens, with, you know, horror and it would, would just help teach me something. But I didn't agree with it. was always called Untitled. Oh, I come up with a better title because it was called The Faculty. And I said, dude, I remember when I was in high school, there was a movie called Teachers with Nick Nolte. I was like, and they're trying to promote get kids to go see it. Like, what kid is going to want to go see a movie about teachers? It's the last thing they want to see. Spend money on a weekend and go see something about teachers. And then this one was called The Faculty. I went, no kids are going to want to go see a movie called The Faculty about a bunch of teachers. So let's come up with a different title. And the title I came up with was called The Others. Oh. It doesn't fit this one. Of course, it does sounds wrong too now because you're so used to the faculty, but they mm-hmm. stole it and put it on another movie of theirs nope. <laughs> dimension, but they ended up putting it out as a faculty. And I think that's what made it hard for people to go see it. You know, and they discovered it later is because it was like, it sounded like something as a kid you wouldn't want to go see. Uh, but I think people found it to be entertaining later. It was really fun to make. Uh, the cast was incredible. Yeah, uh, huge cast. With a huge cast, finding uh, all these young talent, they were so fun to work with. It was just a blast. It was like a vacation movie, you know. I was taking a vacation for myself, making a vacation movie. I'm shooting in Austin, <laughs> and everyone loved being there. John Stewart, any any favorite people I ran into, I wanted to put them in the movie, and it was just a blast. And it's so fun to see it get some love now. Mm-hmm. Um, we just showed it here in Austin at a big 1500s seat theater. And it got much bigger reaction than it played when we first premiered it because people know the movie now. So they were just like going nuts for it. Like it was behind the scenes stories. Yes, yeah, so that's that's what, it's definitely my kids love that movie too. Yeah. My other colleague picked 
Battle Angel as their favorite. Oh, cool. It's cool. hard. To, it's hard to argue because you like you said, it's you going into James James Cameron mode, entertaining, visually outstanding. I hear John Landau said something about a sequel popping up finally. Is that something you guys are actually working on? Is that next? We've definitely been talking about that. It's something Jim had outlined from the beginning. He had three films very meticulously outlined and because uh, he, he meant to make it a series. So yeah. uh, we would love to get that going. We'd always, you know, things got complicated when Fox got bought by Disney and then Fox wasn't making anything for a while. We didn't know what was going on because Disney was focused on the Disney stuff. And now they think they're making Fox movies again. So there, there might be a chance. So. We're always holding out hope that we can put that together because we'd love, we'd love to do that. Same. I loved that movie. Uh, one question. I always like to ask directors about this when they have a long storied history. I asked Joe Dante about some of these ones that never came, like his Batman movie and Halloween and all that. Uh, you circled like X-Men and Superman and Predator, which you produced it in the end, or Zorro or John Carter. Were any of those like the one that got away for you? Oh, yeah. At least you're mentioning ones that I actually thought, you know, sometimes people would say, you know, I'd be reading a script and they would say that I was making that movie. And then I was never making that movie. It was absolutely <laughs> the script and somebody leaked that I was making the movie and I wasn't making right. it. Uh, but those, let me see. Uh, no, no, I was never making Superman, never making X-Men. I, I read early drafts of them. They were early drafts. Like they would require so much work to make them work that at that point you might as well be making your own thing that you own and control. Why, why am I going to figure this out for these guys? I, I never got like a golden script that was like the movie that it turned out to be. So it was easy to, to not make those. What was the last one you mentioned? She said, Zorro. Uh, John Carter and Zorro. Yeah. Predator. Yeah, John Carter. It was called Princess of Mars. John Favreau was going to do that at some point too. We both were, were into that. Uh, cause I, cause I love the Frazetta stuff, you know, yeah. and Frazetta version of that. But then Sin City came along. So right away, I, I was just like, you know what? This is this is more my speed. I'm going to do this one. And uh, and the technology wasn't quite there, you know, to do something like Princess of Mars in the day. Mm-hmm. So um, some of that stuff was just, unless you're Jim Cameron. <laughs> I, you know, when I was showed him Desperado uh, before the movie came out, because we've been friends a long time. I was, the movie holds the hell up, by the I was, way. I watched oh, it yesterday again. Oh, thanks. I love that movie. He, <laughs> he was... It showing me the, his, his scriptment for Avatar. This is in 1995, or yeah, in the middle of 1995. I mean, he was writing that stuff. I don't know how he was going to do this stuff. He figured it out and made technology catch up to him. You know, I, you couldn't, we couldn't do that ourselves for movies like Prince of Mars and things. Yeah. But no, 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 this was one. Hypnotic was definitely one that I knew that I had come up with that I just, I needed to make someday and I didn't want someday to turn into never. So I just go, I have to make this. And I knew it would open up, like you said, another genre that maybe somebody who doesn't watch my other movies would be surprised. Oh, this is, this is my cup of tea. I like Hitchcock movies too. Awesome. Well, hits theaters, May 12th, Robert, I always have been and remain a fan of yours. Thanks again, man. Thanks buddy.